Hello there, and welcome to Gilded in Blood, the Horror Lit Podcast. My name is Kevin. Uh, if you have <laughs> been a longtime listener, you probably see that there's been a change in uh, the setup here. We usually are talking about a book this week. We do an every other week kind of thing, a book, short shock, book, short shock. And of course, last week, uh, after talking about Ray Bradbury's A Sound of Thunder, I did say that this week would be uh, Anne Rice's interview with a vampire. So what happened? <laughs> Why are we talking about a short story here? Still vampires, but st a short story rather than a book. Well, basically, this is an attempt to save you from another stopgap episode. Uh, it's been an extraordinarily busy week. Uh, I, I don't know if you can hear it, but I'm still a little sick and I had some dental work done. I just did not have the time or the the impetus to actually sit down, uh, go through Anne Rice's book and do it justice, kind of get all the information that I needed from it to do a proper episode. And I didn't want to skimp you guys. Uh, so the option was, oh, well, I could do another stopgap episode, but it's not been all that long since I've done a stopgap episode for you guys, so I really didn't want to do that, so I thought that the best compromise would be that I could switch things up a little bit. We'll do sh two short shocks in a row here, uh, and we'll talk about this one, and then next week, I promise, unless I am just absolutely passed out with a fever, uh, we will do Anne Rice's interview with Vampire. But this actually works out a tiny bit better because what we are talking about today is in fact the literary origin story of the vampire before this short story uh, published, I believe, in 1819 by John Polidori called The Vampire. Before this story, there was no, uh, the, there was no real discernible vampire story in literature. John Polidori basically started it all. He did not invent the vampire. He took all of this from uh, existing mythology at the time, but uh, he was the first person to really sit down and write out the story of the vampire. Now, uh, a little bit more about the origin story here. I know we don't usually do with this with uh, short shocks, but this one's pretty interesting. Uh, this story is the result of the same party game, if you want to put it that way, that resulted in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein coming to light. Uh, this was Lord Byron, Mary Shelley, John Polidori, some other people who were at uh, Lake Geneva and uh, came up with this game of who can tell the scariest story. Uh, we already know how Mary Shelley's turned out. And this actually, the information is a bit sketchy on this as to whether this was Lord Byron's story or John Polidori. For a time, it was actually actually published under Lord Byron's name and thought to be completely his construction. But Polidori came out a little bit later and said, while he may have given me that kind of the foundational ideas of the story, I actually wrote the story. So it is John Polidori's story. <laughs> Lord Byron's not around to come and, and yell at me about this. He's, he's long dead. But uh, that's the best I can kind of discover in my research, that uh, there was some question about the authorship, but Polidori is really the author. So, uh, of course, taking from a kind of surrounding mythology, this idea from Lord Byron, two of the most famous monsters of all time, the vampire and the creation of a mad scientist, came from the same dinner party. I, I absolutely love it. It makes me so happy. But before this, there really was no vampire. We wouldn't have Dracula without this story. We 
wouldn't have uh, I Am Legend without this story. And we definitely wouldn't have Anne Rice's interview with a vampire without this story. So it's kind of a good coincidence uh, that we, we're going to talk about this short story, which is basically the beginning of the literary vampire, before next week and we talk about one of the best literary vampires uh, ever created by Anne Rice. So let's go ahead and dive into this story, The Vampire, by John Polidori. So we start off the story with uh, descriptions of two people. The first is Lord Ruthven, uh, and he is an aristocrat, uh, has a fair amount of money, a lot of influence, and he is extraordinarily mysterious. Uh, nobody quite knows his history. Uh, he has this very severe air about him, uh, yet people are drawn to him. People cannot help but come uh, up to him and want to be around him. I think you know who he's going to turn out to be. Now, the other person that we are introduced to is a young man by the name of the family name of Aubrey. And he has a sister and he is in London at about the same time that Lord Ruthven is. So these two people kind of come together and Aubrey starts to hang around with Ruthven and starts to see some of his attitudes, some of the way that he carries himself and especially some of the way that he treats people around him. One of the most interesting things that he finds is that Ruthven is extraordinarily free with his money. He will give money away, um, vast amounts of money, uh, with, with nothing uh, really in return that he's expecting. However, Aubrey starts to understand that Ruthven does not give money to virtuous people who need it. It's not the innocent little kid who says, oh, please, sir, can I have some money for bread? He sends those people away. Instead, he gives money to people who are down and out because of their own actions. Uh, people who are brutal to each other, uh, gamblers, uh, lecherous people, people who are already kind of mired in sin, Ruthven gives them money to do more of those sins. And what uh, Aubrey also starts to understand is that after receiving this money from Ruthven, these people almost inevitably come to a bad end. They end up in the gallows. They end up in the stocks. They end up murdered by another person. Nothing good happens to anybody who takes Ruthven's money. However, <laughs> Aubrey is a little bit, how does the story put it? He, he's more concerned with imagination than he is with practicality. So he, uh, he does not take this for the clear warning sign that it is, and instead goes up to Ruthven and says, uh, I'm going to be traveling. Would you like to travel with me? And Ruthven says, oh, of course, let's, let's go travel. <laughs> so uh, they, they travel about. Uh, Aubrey sees him continue to do these things and also notices that when uh, when it comes to the fairer sex, the females, uh, he does not want the people mired in sin. He wants specifically uh, young, virginal women, people whose uh, reputations are kind of lily white, and then he delights in ruining those women. <laughs> it's the, it's for a a story of the time. It's a very uncomfortable kind of sexual undertone uh, that John Polidori is kind of playing with, which it makes this one of the more daring stories of the time. You don't really see things that are quite this. Uh, I'm not going to say graphic because there's definitely no nothing that we would consider as graphic in the story, but the things being hinted at are pretty salacious for this time. So eventually, uh, Aubrey starts to come to his senses, and while they are in Rome, he starts to uh, find out that Ruthven is working on destroying 
this young uh, woman whose family is kind of on hard times, and Aubrey is is kind of kind of wakes up and says, I, "I need to get away from this guy." But before he does, he kind of thwarts. Ruthven's uh, advances on this woman, tells the woman, tells her family what Ruthven is all about, tells them to stay away from him. And as far as he knows, Ruthven never really finds out that he was the one behind kind of ruining this guy's uh, plans. And then Aubrey jumps on a ship and heads to Greece. So in Greece, uh, Aubrey is trying to kind of put away uh, this, this situation with Ruthven and uh, delightedly finds the company of Ianthe. And Ianthe is a beautiful young lady, uh, kind of uh, more rustic. Uh, her family is uh, lives kind of out in the country, and she is uh, kind of versed in the myths of the area, the, the legends and everything. And Aubrey delights in talking with uh, Ianthe and, and hearing all these stories. And one story in particular really catches his attention, the myth of the vampire, this, this creature that will go out and seduce young women and cause people to come to harm and so on and so forth. And the more that Ianthe kind of gives out these details, <laughs> of course, Aubrey starts to recognize Wow, that sounds a lot like Lord Ruthven. Uh, this is a problem. This is this is not a good situation. I'm really glad that I actually got away from this monster now that he knows uh, what he is. And there's still a little bit of ambiguity as to whether Aubrey really believes in this uh, supernatural creature or not. But he certainly says uh, this is something that I I basically need to stay away from. Now, one evening, Aubrey is going to be coming back through this wood that Ianthe and her family and everybody around says, you really shouldn't be there after dark because creatures kind of make that place their home and bad things can happen there. Uh, and he, of course, kind of, he throws away that he dismisses. That's, that's not real. Uh, it's, it reminded me a little bit of uh, the legend of Sleepy Hollow and Ichabod Crane going back home through the, through the woods and going back home through the woods night has fallen he kind of tried to get through there before nightfall but uh he he kind of didn't get there and he comes upon this hovel kind of this uh this uh earthen house and he uh, he hears these awful screams of a woman and this laughter of a man and he's wanting of course to help so he goes into into the place uh opens the door it's pitch black in there and all of a sudden someone grabs him and throws him aside injuring him pretty badly actually and uh he kind of passes out and eventually uh some more townspeople come upon him he says i i heard the screams of a woman you need to go check this out and who is it but ianthe and ianthe has had her throat torn open and blood all over her and she has been drained of blood and of course all the townspeople are like this is the work of a vampire uh, Aubrey is uh, inconsolable her her parents the Anthe's parents die of grief uh, just a really really bad scene and in a really kind of a creepy uh, coda to this scene the townspeople lay him on this kind of trap thing to to drag him back to 
uh, to town and they lay the corpse of his beloved right next to him. Uh, it's actually quite a, a frightening scene. I've always been a fan of Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I thought that scene was really good and it's done very similarly here in the vampire uh, kind of walking through these woods. Uh, it's very dark. You can't see anything. It's, it's a pretty good scare scene. It really is. But uh, Aubrey is kind of lost, uh, having lost his, uh, his beloved. Things are not very good at this point. Now, while Aubrey is trying to kind of come to grips with this, get uh, he falls with a, a, a really bad fever. Uh, he's bedridden. Lord Ruthven uh, comes back into the story, finds out that his old friend uh, Aubrey uh, is sick. Um, and so he comes and kind of ministers to him and stays by his side. And at first, when Aubrey kind of comes out of this and sees Lord Ruthven standing there, uh, he's kind of shocked, but Ruthven kind of uh, nurses him back to health, tries to help him through this difficult time, and they kind of come back together as kind of traveling companions uh, until one night they are set upon by robbers. And in the course of trying to fight off these robbers, uh, Ruthven is shot in the shoulder and mortally wounded. And as he's laying there dying, he, he grabs Aubrey and he makes him swear for a year and a day you cannot tell, you must swear not to tell anybody about me, my life, or what just happened, my death. You have to swear. And Aubrey is forced to swear that he will not talk of Lord Ruthven, uh, anything about him for a year and a day. And at that point, Lord Ruthven dies, passes away. And of course, having been through all of this tragedy, he decides to return home and devote more time to his sister. Uh, his sister is overjoyed at seeing him back. Uh, they come back together and they spend time together and he start, slowly starts to heal. Now, while he and his sister have kind of come back together and are, are kind of trying to work through this, Aubrey is horrified to find that Lord Ruthven is still alive and back in London. And he has run into the Ruthven a couple of times, and every time Ruthven grabs him by the shoulder and says, remember your oath, you must remember your oath. And of course, Aubrey, being uh, an honest gentleman, says, of course, I, I will remember my oath. But he's kind of horrified uh, that this, this person has literally been raised from the dead. He watched him die. He watched him expire. And now here he is. And at the same time, uh, his sister starts to uh, tell Aubrey that he, she has met a man and they are go soon going to be married. And uh, Aubrey opens the, uh, the locket around her, her throat that holds the picture of her beloved. And of course, it is Lord Ruthven. Uh, and we find out that a year and a day will end on the date of Ruthven marrying Aubrey's sister. And of course, Aubrey kind of uh, falls into this uh, despair because he cannot tell his sister of Ruthven's uh, villainy, uh, uh, what he saw of Ruthven, what he knows about Ruthven. Um, but he, he can't tell because of his Oath. He writes this all down, and on the day that he can finally tell, he tells people uh, and says, please deliver this letter to my sister. But the doctor, we find out, thinks that this is all kind of rubbish, does not deliver the letter to the sister. And by the time uh, everything settles, Aubrey actually passes away after he tells his story. Uh, they go and try to find Aubrey's sister, and she is dead, and Ruthven is gone. And I, I love this. It's, it's 
very cheesy, but it just it, it makes me so happy. This is the last little paragraph of the story. The Guardians hastened to protect Miss Aubrey, but when they arrived, it was too late. Lord Ruthven had disappeared, and Aubrey's sister had glutted the thirst of a vampire. <laughs> Vampires in all caps. <laughs> Exclamation point. I love it. It's it's wonderful. H.P. Lovecraft <laughs> probably got that <laughs> from, from this. So that is the first vampire story. That's the first literary vampire story. And it does introduce a couple of things that I think are really, really interesting. One of the most interesting things is you hardly ever see down and out vampires. You don't see vampires of the lower grade. You don't see workman vampires. Uh, you always see aristocratic vampires. Vampires are, uh, are upper class. They're usually rich. They're very enticing. They're very uh, enthralling. And they have this air, this caste system, this, this kind of classist thing going on where vampires generally seem to be of the upper class and they are literally preying on the lower class. So that's something that's actually going to come into play next week when we talk about Anne Rice's interview with the vampire. These are not workaday vampires. These vampires have uh, status. They have class. They have money. They have wealth and they have position and power. And that is always important because, as I said in the uh, I Am Legend episode, vampires work best in stories when they represent something else. Of course, in I Am Legend, they represented uh, fear of nuclear war or of uh, pestilence and disease. In this story, in John Polidori's story, they seem to represent uh, the nastiness of the upper class, of how uh, the upper class can prey on the lower class. And it's probably not all that much of a stretch to believe that spending time with Lord Byron, by all accounts, really an asshole, <laughs> just a terrible, terrible person, probably inspired John Polidori to write this story because Lord Byron had no problem, uh, you know, using lower class people to his benefit. But uh, next week, when we talk about Anne Rice's story, story, uh, vampires represent grief. They, they represent uh, unending grief. And that is a really interesting aspect of that book that I really am looking forward to diving into. So I hope you guys will forgive me for messing up the schedule a little bit. I just, I wanted to have something for you rather than just another, oops, sorry, didn't have time to do this. And it wasn't that. It, I, I was... I was just overwhelmed. <laughs> but uh, again, this is not something I do for a living. Uh, I'm not a professional at this. I, I don't want to kind of burn myself out on this. But at the same time, I want you guys to have the, the goods. So hopefully this will work for you. Next week, we'll dive in and we'll talk about Anne Rice's interview with the vampire. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, of course, to Slaughterhouse for the use of his music. That's Slaughterhouse with a 5 instead of an S. You can find his work on Bandcamp. You can find out what I am reading at any given point in time at thestorygraph.com. Username Libris Leonis, L-I-B-R-I-S underscore L-E-O-N-I-S. You can go to gildedinblood.com, find more of these episodes. You can find out how to get a sticker that is promoting the podcast. Just go to the articles section and look at the section called stickers. <laughs> and finally, we got the horror's best books uh, category all figured out. Thank you very much to the people at uh, WordPress. Uh, I, very soon, I will go ahead and put that up there. Uh, that's a project that I'm going to uh, dive into, and hopefully that'll be something you won't want to follow along with. But until next time, ladies and gentlemen, stay safe and stay spooked.